Hi, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Numbers. My name is Dave Bookbinder. I'm the author of the new ROI, Return on Individual series, which you can find everywhere you get your books. Uh, and welcome to the show where we dig deeper to understand what really matters most in business. This is uh, an episode that is uh, near and dear to my heart. I can, I can feel it. Uh, we're talking about culture as a competitive advantage and how that impacts business uh, every day. And I'm um, pleased to welcome Cornelia Shipley Berryman, who's the founder and CEO of 3C Consulting, to have this conversation. Cornelia, welcome to Behind the Numbers. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Oh, it's a pleasure. So you spent what, 15 or 20 years in industry before launching 3C Consulting. Uh, tell us what inspired you to make that leap from corporate America into an entrepreneurial role to launch 3C and, and what is 3C? So 3C Consulting is a firm that specializes in the retention and advancement of mission critical talent. And I started the firm, like many people, um, as a result of a life event. So my mom had breast cancer and my dad had a stroke and I was living 1,500 miles away from them and I'm an only child. And so as a result of that, it required me to go home and be able to take care of them. And as I thought about what was the work I really wanted to be doing? I was really clear that I wanted to be able to impact culture in a way where even the most marginalized in organizations could thrive and people's cultures would really serve as a competitive advantage to them. So for the last 15 years or so, we've been helping organizations really get the clarity, capability, and capacity that they need to be able to deliver on their bottom lines. Yeah, and you know that's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. The books that I've written speak to the value of people as it impacts the value of a business enterprise, and it starts with the culture, which will then drive engagement. So why don't we start by, by defining what a good culture is? Yeah, a good culture in our world is a culture where, one, people can show up, um, be their relevant self. So in a, lots of organizations, we talk about bringing your authentic self to work. In our world, we talk about bringing your relevant self to work. And so it's about a culture where people can bring their relevant self to work, do work that they're interested in, that they have passion for, have opportunity to grow and develop, and most importantly, contribute to the bottom line of that organization and in the world of nonprofit, contribute to the mission of that organization. Yeah, it may be nuanced, but why don't you tell us what's the, the subtle difference there between your, the relevant self and the authentic self that you alluded to? Yeah, so in many organizations, and I, I make this joke from the stage when I talk all the time, organizations will say, we want you to bring your authentic self to work. The truth of the matter is they don't want you smoking in the building. <laughs> and so it's really about you bringing the parts of you to work that are relevant to the work that you need to be doing. So if it's relevant to the work, it's part of who you should be bringing to work. If it's not relevant, it's not relevant. And so it's a question of helping organizations and individuals understand that and helping leaders create spaces for all of the authenticity of an individual that is relevant to be able to be accepted, utilized, leveraged, and thrive. Gotcha. Thank you. And before we get into the how-tos, if you will, 
Uh, why don't you give us your insight on why culture is, in fact, a competitive advantage? I mean, obviously, things like quiet quitting uh, are in the news on a regular basis, the war for talent, uh, the great resignation. All those uh, terms are, are, are terms that folks have heard over the last several years. But tell us from your perspective, Cornelia, culture as a competitive advantage. Culture is a competitive advantage because we know culture eats strategy for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and twice on Sunday. Wow. It's not about what goes on a wall that you say is your goal. It's about whether or not the environment is designed to help people actually do the work necessary to achieve that goal. And so if you have a toxic work environment, a work environment where people aren't valued, can't develop, aren't promoted, it creates a level of disengagement, which then does not allow for you to meet your objectives. Right. So how do we create that positive, nurturing kind of culture that will drive the engagement and uh, increase retention? The first thing you have to do is be clear about what's the culture that you need to actually deliver on the bottom line business result that you have. And in some organizations that we work with, they're very homogeneous. Right. So having a diversity strategy that talks about ethnic diversity isn't necessarily relevant for them. But having a diversity strategy that talks about difference in skill set, difference in, you know, um, generation becomes very relevant. So it's about what is your business strategy first? And then how do you overlay a people plan that ensures that you can deliver on that strategy? And to do that, you've got to be thinking about what matters most to your employee population, to your customer base, and to the balance of your stakeholders. So from a customer perspective, what's the customer experience that they're expecting? If you work with a general public that is very diverse and they're expecting to see people who look like them, having a racially and ethnically diverse culture becomes more important. If you're if your client base is all white men and you're an organization of all white men, that may not matter as much. Having a culture where if you as, a, as an organization value fun, because that's a part of the service delivery that you provide and it's a part of your mission, having a way to, to screen for people's ability to deliver on fun becomes important. So you've got to make sure that the cultural strategy is in alignment with your business strategy you can ultimately deliver on that business bottom line. How do we do that in a, in a really large organization that might be in what we would consider to be a, a stodgy industry, if you will? Um, <laughs> whether it's, you know, well, let's say banking, for instance, right? Yeah, so well, it's funny that you say that because we have a couple of banking clients, right? And so at the end of the day, when you think about a banking client, right, if you take your local bank, Right, your local bank, in my case, the bank down the street happens to be PNC. They're not a client, but I'm going to use them in this example. So PNC has a diverse set of clients. So that means out from the front line to the senior leadership, they need to create a culture where people of color, women, people in the LGBTQ plus community want to come and work. That means, one, you've got to create spaces where those communities feel valued. To do that, you have to understand what they value. And historically, that hasn't been a piece that's been required of organizations. So now we're asking leaders to unpack with their people what matters most to those people to create a culture where they can actually deliver. And in large organizations, people don't leave large organizations. They leave their direct manager. 
So it's about empowering direct managers with the information that they need to be able to create the individual work environment for their individual team where their employees can show up, deliver, and feel valued. Yeah, so I, I know of a couple of large organizations where the CEO um, the CEOs are real big culture champions and they say all the right things and they believe it to their core. But then when you talk with people in local offices, for example, they say, yeah, it, it doesn't ripple all the way down here. We've got a guy that leads or a gal that leads this office that didn't get the memo. How do those kinds of organizations ensure that the culture really does make its way all the way through the entire organization? Yeah, the big thing we start with in organizations is a question around accountability. What are you holding people accountable to and for? And what are the ramifications in the event that they don't honor your expectations around the way you pe treat people, the way you promote people, the way you invest and develop people? And so at the end of the day, many organizations struggle with holding people accountable for delivering on the day-to-day -day business. In the example earlier, it would be, you know, getting new accounts into the bank. In one of my old employers, one of the expectations would be delivering on cases or cars if you work in the auto industry. I'm from Detroit, right? So you've got to get a certain number of cars off the line every day. People have a hard time holding people to those business pieces. And so when you talk about culture, that becomes even harder for people to hold people accountable to. And they're not typically clear about what the objectives actually are in that what we refer to as invisible middle, the part of the organization that's actually doing most of the work and responsible for delivering on the cultural objectives. Yeah, I guess sometimes, too, you just get that rare occurrence where that's a, an individual in that local office, if you will, that just doesn't get it. And maybe they're not the right fit if uh, the organizational culture has a different objective. That's right. And people have to understand what are the things that are the have-to-dos as a manager and leader in the organization? And if they're not clear about that or they're not committed to delivering, the organization has to be ready to make a different decision and to help that person land on their feet in a place where they're going to be more comfortable and potentially thrive in a better environment that's better suited to what their expectations are for themselves as a leader. That's awesome. Cornelia, for folks who are watching, listening, and want to learn more about you or how they may be able to work with you, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? So on all social media, I'm at Cornelia Shipley on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, and then our web address is just www.thenumber3, the letter C, and then consulting.com. 3cconsulting.com. Great. Cornelia, we've got to take a break here and pay a few bills. Don't go anywhere. You watching and listening, don't go anywhere either. We'll be right back on Behind the Numbers after this quick break. Aloha. Joe Silva here with Kakua Technologies. I'm excited to see you on Tuesdays on Morning Coffee for our tech tips. Lawyers get a bad rap. I'm Erin Bruschi, host of Legal Breakdown, where we dissect legal topics for the everyday viewer with a mix of interesting guests to talk about current events and hot legal topics, 
let's work together to make the law accessible and relevant to everyone. Catch us every week on RVN Television. And welcome back to Behind the Numbers. I'm Dave Bookbinder, and today we're talking about culture as a competitive strategy with Cornelia Shipley Berryman. Uh, Cornelia, welcome back. Uh, I want to start this segment by talking about a book that you've written, which has a fantastic title, super aspirational, and I, I want to know how you do all of it. But the book is called Design Your Life, How to Create a Meaningful Life, Advance Your Career, and Live Your Dreams. Tell us about the book, what inspired you to write it, where can we get it, and then let's jump into how do we do that. Perfect. So uh, I'm going to start with where you can get it first. It's on Amazon, so that's really just easy. It's the yellow book, so there's lots of books with this title, uh, but it's the yellow one. And uh, the reason that I wrote the book was right after I got married. So back in 2012, I decided I had wanted to write this book as a result of experiences I had living in Australia. And if anyone's ever visited Australia, what you know about that community and um, that country is they take a no worries attitude. And living there, what I learned was that the hustle and bustle of life in America wasn't necessarily the life that I wanted or the life that people in my life wanted. And so as I came back and reintegrated into the United States, I started really thinking about this idea. And I determined I really wanted to write this book after I got married. So I hired um, a, an editor who went to Harvard University and we agreed that we would start the project in October of 2012. Well, I got married the end of September, five days after my wedding, my mother died unexpectedly. And I had told the author who I was gonna be working with as my editor that I didn't wanna start until after my honeymoon because I knew I would be a different person. What I didn't know was that that difference was gonna be that my mother would have passed on. And so this book is really about understanding that you, you can be here today and gone today. My mother was rushed to the ER at 8 o'clock in the morning, and at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, she was gone. And so I recognize that we have one life to live, and this book is designed to help you think through what matters most to you so that you can actually live the life that you want to live. And the way that that starts, to answer your question, Dave, is to really get clear about what success means to you. What is your definition of success? For me, my definition of success is to be able to be present in the moment for what matters most in that moment. So when my mother died and my father had lost the love of his life of 52 years, I was able to be present with him and with my husband. Today, from 9 until 9.30, I'm going to be able to be present with you while we're having this conversation. It's about being present in the moment for what matters most in the moment for me. For other people that could be, you know, the set of red bottom shoes or the designer handbags or the private jet or some other material thing. It could be being able to give back to their local community, change the environmental situation and deal with climate change. Whatever your definition of success is, you have to start there. And then you have to make sure that you're living daily in ways that allow you to deliver on that expectation and objective for yourself. 
Yeah, that that is really inspirational for sure, and you know, it, it resonates with me when you you talk about your mom passing. My dad used to say, "It's later than you think." You know, to your point that you never know what's next or how much more time you're going to have. So, uh, do that thing, wear that thing, eat the dessert, whatever you, you want to say. But when you talk about being present in the moment, that that strikes me as kind of the the mindfulness mantra. Um, and talk a little bit about how that mindfulness being present in the moment then translates into how a leader can better perform their duties and be more present with their teams. Absolutely. So one of the things we know is that a distracted mind costs you huge amounts of productivity. We think we can do multiple things at one time, but that's not true. And so when you think about productivity and you think about delivering on your expectations in your role, one of the best things you can do is to be present for what's happening in the moment. What is the current project? What is the current conversation? What is the current objective that needs to be addressed? And address that thing and then go on to the next thing. That is the deepest competitive advantage each of us as an individual have. It's to be present and to deliver on what's in front of us so that we can go to the next thing and be present in the next thing. Yeah, and, and I didn't know we were going to go down uh, this uh, rabbit hole of conversation, but it's fascinating. So if you don't mind, I just want to continue a little bit more here, because when you talk about being present and being in that moment, and like you said, a cluttered mind is super unproductive. But as we all go through our day-to-day, you know, we're, we're having a conversation. You and I are present. But if the mind were to wander, we're thinking about what's next, where we're having lunch, what the next phone call is going to be, and so forth. How do do we bring ourselves back into this present moment when we feel the tug of that distraction in our head? One of the best things you can do is actually take a moment to sit quietly and just catch your breath. Take three deep cleansing breaths while you've closed your eyes. For some reason, and I haven't quite figured out or researched enough to know um, why that works, but I have not had a client yet who hasn't had that work. And so if you just take a minute to reground yourself, put your feet solidly on the floor, put your palms up if you're sitting, and to close your eyes, take three deep breaths. Amazingly, you will be back in your body. And typically, the reason people are distracted is because they've left the present moment, they've left their body, they've left the current situation. And so focusing on the breath brings you back to the present. Yeah, this is really great content, really great advice. Thank you for sharing all that, Cornelia. Like I said, didn't expect that we were going to go that deep into it, but uh, I think it's super beneficial for folks, and it does make a big difference in terms of how leaders show up and how individuals show up in the workplace to be their most relevant self. Um, But I do want to shift gears here. You alluded to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the first segment. I do want to talk about that uh, before we have to end the program here. Are are companies really getting it? Are are they doing well in the DEI space right now? Depends on the company, right? So diverse, equitable, and inclusive are descriptors of culture. Is your culture diverse? Is your organization diverse? Is it inclusive? Is it equitable? Right? Those are descriptive terms. And unfortunately, when we look at the objectives of diversity, equity, and inclusion, historically, It has been the one initiative that unfortunately has been allowed to fail in many organizations. 
organizations have been reluctant to put metrics behind it. Organizations have struggled to really create environments where they could meet those metrics. And so there are cases and places for sure in the marketplace where they are, they are over-indexing, over-delivering on creating a diverse, equitable, and inclusive culture. You know, many CEOs made powerful statements after the murder of George Floyd to say we're committed to making a change. Some of them have made greater strides than others. And part of that is the fact that, you know, business goes on. Today, we're in a huge crunch, right? We've got a looming recession. People are planning for that. People are also experiencing a huge talent drain. And so if you get your culture right, it would solve some of those problems. The reality is some organizations are taking that path to fix their culture. Some organizations are saying there are other ways we want to fix that. We want to cut cut costs. We want to, you know, change the way that we're doing our business model that may or may not address why people, their most important asset, are actually leaving the organization. Yeah, for sure. And that really resonates with me as well. And when we talk about implementing the, the culture change and we talk about the return on the investment, because I, I like to make it really clear that what you and I are talking about here isn't just kind of a, a woo-woo thing, that there really are measurable metrics here that we can look at and how it impacts the bottom line for an organization. One, obviously, is retention. And we know that there's a high cost of turnover, the opportunity cost of losing people and retraining and so forth. What other returns, if you will, have you seen uh, as a result of some of these initiatives? the biggest return I've seen is increased business, right? When you create a diverse, equitable, and inclusive organization, you can tap new markets. You have access to people who have access to markets you may not have access to. I think about a story um, from a former employer where there was a brand that was trying to penetrate the ethnic female market. They had never had a brand manager who was an ethnic female. <laughs> they put an ethnic female into the role. She understood the market. They did a couple of things to change the strategy, and they more than tripled the business in that ethnic market. It's because they put somebody in the role who understood how to penetrate that space. And so the biggest competitive advantage you have is if you leverage your talent to actually help you access your customer base in ways that meet the needs of that customer base, you can really explode the revenue in your business. Thank you. Cornelia, we're getting down to the wire here, just a couple of minutes to go. Uh, but I do want to sneak in one more question about your entrepreneurial journey, uh, because there are a lot of entrepreneurs in the audience and folks who aspire to be entrepreneurs, uh, whether they're admiring in the corporate world right now and thinking about making the leap uh, or whatnot. But uh, from your entrepreneurial journey, your experience, are, are there a couple of key lessons learned or tips that you might recommend for folks who are contemplating taking that leap? Yeah, recognize as an entrepreneur, we've been talking about culture today. The culture for an entrepreneur is your mindset. And so the biggest investment you can make in your entrepreneurial journey is to continue to elevate your thinking and recognize that whatever you want, the fact that you're dreaming it and conceiving it means you can have it if you're willing to do the work. So whatever limiting beliefs, whatever toxic noise you have going around in your head, you've got to be ready, willing, and able to do the work to clear that so it doesn't block you from both your business and your financial success. 
Yeah, and you hit on a number of things that we've talked about during the course of the program, and, and doing that gets you back into the present moment and allows you to bring your relevant self to work, and then the rest just spirals upward from there. Hopefully, I, I uh, summarized that succinctly. Uh, Cornelia, unfortunately, we are out That's of time. Right. <laughs> unfortunately, we are out of time here today, but I, I want to thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Numbers. Dave, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Hopefully, we'll have you back again sometime. I want to continue to hear about this journey that you're on and, and how you're helping people. Uh, we've been talking about culture as a competitive advantage with Cornelia Shipley Berryman. Uh, my name is Dave Bookbinder, and I'm the one that my clients turn to when they want to know what their most important assets are worth. You can find me on LinkedIn. Please reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation. And as always, thank you for watching and listening to Behind the Numbers. We can't do it without you. Please hit the subscribe button so that you can stay in touch with all that we're up to. And that's all we have for today, folks. So until we meet again, I will see you next time on Behind the Numbers. Take care.